The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 18 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Let's talk dance, we shall. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Chat Talking Dance. It is September. <laughs> what? I cannot believe it's September. It has been almost six months since uh, New York City shut down, much of the country, um, and I think this is the longest I've been home in a very, very long time. It's crazy. It's September. Like, a new school year is starting. I don't even know if the old school year ended. So, <laughs> just kind of trying to wrap my mind around all that. But the good thing is we are all still here right now listening and talking and engaging. So, that's good. Um, what are my updates for this week? So, my company, we finished our... Uh, Love Letter Performances, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company. We performed in Central Park, Gantry Plaza State Park in Long Island City, Brooklyn Bridge Park in Brooklyn, and then in Washington Square Park in Manhattan. And it was such an experience to uh, bring dance outside, especially from a ballet perspective. I know that many other genres have been doing this for years, but as a ballet dancer, I had to completely alter my choreographic vocabulary I guess that's as a choreographer um the dancers had to dance in sneakers and in street clothes outside in the heat humidity of the summer um they had to worry about people surrounding them and I mean let me tell you our last show in Washington Square Park was crazy um I'm gonna talk about this again but that uh article where they said that New York City is dead forever if you were in Washington Square Park this past Sunday you would know that that's not true. And I mean, it was insane. I think we had three performances planned. And the thing is, it's not like we had a permit. Um, and also not like you could be like, this is my space. You can't be here. So we held a rehearsal before our show because we couldn't get together during the week. Um, I guess that was at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And we had like a, a fine space. And then by the time that we started performances at three, um, there were like seven other groups doing things there was like uh hari krishnu it's krishna krishnu uh krishna um there was like a group doing drums and like chanting there were some like hip-hop uh like they seemed like older teenager younger adults there were skateboarders there were musicians there was uh multiple acts happening in this tiny tiny park so the dancer is just like having to deal with their surroundings like skateboarders going through them bikers go around dogs running People like watching them uh, and so many other things. I had so much respect for how they handled this. Busking, that's what's called B-U-S-K. Um, and ballet dancers don't typically busk. So um, 
yeah, we finished Love Letter. It was really, really well received. And it's, I, I'm just really pleased that we did it. And we, uh, one of our, we have a, a photographer that's been working with us, Liz Schneider Cohen, and she generously donated her time to us. And so we've got some really fantastic images of our dancers performing with like people and skyscrapers and parks in the background. So if you haven't checked any of that stuff out, please do head to my Instagram at bcarolas, um, or you can go to our company's Instagram at movement underscore headquarters. Speaking of movement headquarters, we are also uh, just launching a fundraising campaign for our company. Uh, We are developing a new immersive nutcracker um, that this year will be digital and the next year will be live. Um, It'll be unlike any other ballet experience you've ever had. Um, Think the color factory meets the nutcracker. Um, it'll be an incredible immersive experience. I'm currently talking to one of the creative directors for the Museum of Ice Cream in San Francisco and a handful of other collaborators to make a a very unique, interesting 45 minute holiday experience, um, that you will actually be like in the experience as opposed to sitting in an audience and watching. So, um, this is going to be a mainstay for a company for hopefully the rest of its time. Um, Nutcracker accounts for 25 to 50% of most American ballet companies revenues for their year, their annual revenue. And I think it's really important that we, we, uh, get a piece of that pie and that we create something that we can also survive off of. Um, but I don't want to do it the same as everybody else. I don't want it to be like a traditional nutcracker. So I hope that you will consider donating to our, our uh, $10,000 campaign to make that happen. We've been pretty successful with most of our fundraising campaigns so far. So um, you can find information about that campaign on uh, the Movement Headquarters Instagram or my personal Instagram as well. It doesn't matter if you got a dollar or if you got $10,000. Um, there's a little something for everybody. Cool. What else? Oh, for those of you that take my classes, my uh, virtual online basic ballet class at Broadway Dance Center for the month of September have moved to 4 p.m. So the class is now from 4 p.m. to 5.15 p.m. And you can sign up for those classes every Tuesday um, by going to broadwaydancecenter.com. That's it. That was the information I needed. Um, also, I'm, I'm giving a handful of private lessons and I'm doing choreography for a student via Zoom. So that's also a possibility if you uh, want to interact with me. Um, I have more time now than I, I mean, I don't have a lot. I'm actually quite busy, but I have more free space in my schedule for things like that than I have in the past handful of years. So if you want to get a little piece of my brain and my dance knowledge um, or a little bit of choreography, uh, you can always reach out to me through my multiple channels uh, of social media to get information about that. Is there anything else? I don't think so. Okay, so today's topic, I think, uh, (laughs) I don't even know where it came from. Um, But I mean, I guess I was thinking of John Lewis and how he was saying, uh, like, you you have to get in good trouble. Um, I don't know exactly, don't quote me on that. But he he said something about that. And this isn't a a podcast episode about uh, race, uh, racial injustice and equities and things like that. But I think that that's, um, well, yes, that's a very inspiring idea for all of the things that that was meant to serve. I, I think that it's a great thing in life as well, because 
progress is made through people uh, getting a little bit of trouble here and there, um, as long as it's for a good purpose and they're, uh, it's, it's moving in a forward direction. Um, as a dancer, I, I didn't really get in a lot of trouble as pretty, as pretty like, you know, like show up, do your job well, um, go above and beyond when you can, um, and be a good human being. (laughs) But yeah, so as a dancer, I didn't really get in, in trouble very much. Honestly, the only times that I really got in trouble was when I wasn't following the expectation of submission that is actually somewhat necessary to work as a dancer because you are going to be portraying somebody else's vision. You have to be submissive. If you're trying to uh, really be dominant as a dancer, it gets more challenging. Not that you can't be, and you should be cultivating those things because eventually you're not going to be a dancer, but generally you have to be submissive when you're a dancer. So, I mean, if I if I look back at the times that like I actually got in trouble, the, the big one that I've talked about in this podcast and in articles the most is uh, with Ballet Axe where I was fired because I stood up for myself when I was being berated by a choreographer for days on end. Um, and of course, there were other things in, involved in that, but that really felt like the foundation of of a, a seed of a reason, and then the rest was they just didn't want to support me while I was injured. But it was like the the, the beginning of it, and that's what they claimed. They claimed it be, that because of that I was fired because um, it's not legal. But yeah, so uh, that was pretty much the only like big time I got in trouble. Trouble. Other than that, I also got in trouble for things like talking to others during rehearsal but i think that that's like going to school like everybody gets like snipped out here and there because they were engaging in conversation when somebody uh in charge wanted their attention um i've had moments where i didn't remember a specific piece of choreography um and that happens but sometimes people get a little bit uh snippy about that is that my word of the day snip 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 um and then like another one would be like missing a costume fitting on the schedule but uh like dancers forgot that they, they missed them more often than regular rehearsals. I barely, barely ever miss a regular rehearsal. Something must've gone really wrong if I did, but, um, what they, they would put the costume fittings all the way at the bottom of the schedule. So sometimes like say that you were done at 4 PM for your day or 5 PM for your day, you didn't look all the way to the bottom and you didn't realize, Oh, they wanted to fit me for sleeping beauty. Um, so yeah, those are really the only times that I, I got in trouble as a dancer, but as a teacher, a journalist, a podcaster, a choreographer, a director, and an influencer, I've mostly gotten uh, in quote unquote trouble when people have typically enjoyed the work I present for like like public facing work, um, and something I put out there didn't align with the expectations that they had set upon me for who I am, what I represent, who my audience is, and other things like that. So essentially people become offended because their expectations of me are thrown off and they don't know how to wrap their minds around it. And then um, some people, they just don't say anything to me. And then at times other people will actually like try to talk to me. I've had people yell at me and reprimand me through uh, words and direct messages, comments, and posts. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've gotten in, in more trouble since I, I left my career. Maybe it's just because I put myself in that position. But 
Yeah, there have been a few times that I've, I've agreed with certain criticisms. Like uh, as a teacher, I used to believe in kicking students out of class to make a point. So say that they're working really hard, but I didn't like a certain something or I wanted to make them feel more inspired to want to be in the classroom. Um, I, I had kicked students out. Um, but I, I learned that from previous teachers and over time as I've grown into my, my teaching career, I've slowly come to the realization how detrimental this action is to a dancer's well-being, emotional well-being. And I generally do not kick students out of class. The only two students I've kicked out of class in the past, maybe like five or six years, um, were two students that in open class that were being wildly disruptive and refusing to actually follow the rules of a classroom. Um, I actually podcasted about my craziest open class experience a handful of podcasts ago. At this point, it's probably like it's almost, almost, it's September. So I think it happened in October, November, like two years ago. Um, whoa, it was crazy. So if you want to hear about that, you could check out that other podcast. But yeah, I don't kick people out to like make a point. I really only kick people out if they're being really disruptive. Um, and it's only happened twice in the past like five or so years. So if you take my class, it's really unlikely to happen. You'd pr- pretty much have to like be kicking things and yelling and screaming or like really uh, affecting how other people can take class. Um, but yeah, so I don't do that anymore because that's not a good way to go about being a teacher. Don't teach through fear, people. <laughs> teach through uh, lessons that you've learned um, and make sure that you're, you're considering the emotional health. Like if you're going to do something, tell them why you're doing it. I'm going to make you hold your leg for 16 counts because when you're on stage, if I have you hold it for 16, four counts is going to feel like nothing. Um, things like that. Okay. Not to get off track. Um, most of the time, I stand by the things that have gotten me in trouble. That's what it comes down to. Like, I am at this point in my career, I know I'm still young outside of my performance career, um, but I think I have enough knowledge that most of the time I do not regret getting in trouble. Um, I can handle criticism. I can handle people not liking me. I can handle people disagreeing with me. Um, and I, I find that that's not super common. Um, but yeah, most of the time I stand by the things that have gotten me in trouble because I truly feel it is my job to share my thoughts and ideas, um, to make people uncomfortable, which I do in my everyday teaching. There are those, there's an ambulance. We don't hear ambulance as much as we did in my podcast back in March and April, but Still hate the sound of it. Bad memories. Okay, back to what I was saying. Um, But yeah, it's my job to share my thoughts and ideas and to make people uncomfortable. So I do that in teaching. Um, I don't do it every day on my social media, but I I do it here and there. Um, It's funny, actually. I think back to, I took a sociology class from this wonderful teacher at Seattle University. They actually wrote a sociology book that most universities at the time had used um, is it Terry Hudson? I cannot remember her name, but um, it, it was really interesting because like we started a social, it was so social psychology. That's what it was, social psychology class, and uh, she came in and like just went about class, and then like she would just do random things to like throw you off. And she was telling us the story how uh, most people don't know that she's a lesbian, um, and on the I guess it's like the psychology in the psychology department at Seattle University. Like it was only her and one other LGBTQ person, and they had this like 
cue where they would like tap a watch or something like that and that meant that it was time to say something gay and they would just like throw something out there to make people make make everybody uncomfortable and to like keep them on their toes um it was actually like a a tool that that she used to make sure that uh it was known that it was uh so it would become something normalized almost, but it would make people uncomfortable. So I don't do it every day in my social media, but I, I do purposefully do it every once in a while. Um, also, uh, what uh, what else? Uh, things that got me in trouble to engage. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I feel that it's my, my job to engage in mind-evolving conversations and to bring the more conservative and more liberal-minded people that are following my work closer to the center of understanding the many rich ways that people can live their lives because um, there is no right or wrong. In the end, we get to choose as a society and, and a culture what is right and wrong. And when you have like people that are more conservative-minded, um, a lot of times they look at the liberals and they think that the liberals are trying to change the way that I want to live and they don't like the way they live. And then the other way around, the liberals go, well, I want to live this way, but the conservatives won't let me live the way that I want to live. Um, so for, for me, through my art and all of my media work, uh, I... I like to try to just bring people understanding of how other people live their lives. Obviously, I have my own like political opinions and ways that I live my life. And uh, I, I try not to impose that too often on people. Every once in a while, I need to. Um, like, for instance, with the current unemployment situation, um, which I'm doing okay right now. Um, but I'm still really nervous if they don't start passing this unemployment situation because you know the savings are going to dry out but um not this is not one of those podcasts but yeah so there are times that i do have to speak my liberal mind um for my own survival uh but for the most part i I try to use my work to bring people into understanding of the other and then hopefully maybe even bring people closer to the middle that way we don't end out in like civil war (laughs) but i mean i'm one person i can't i can't prevent all of those things. I can just have minor influences in the communities that I have influence on. So yeah, I recently wrote a social media post that was very aggressive against an article that claimed that New York City is dead forever. And a very small contingent of my followers were displeased with the tone of my posts and the fact that I used the F word in it. But I didn't regret what I did. Um, I spent over a half hour cultivating my short post. I reread it multiple times and edited it before I posted it. Made sure that I clearly understood what I was saying and how I was saying it. And then I just clicked post. Um, It's important to note that I barely ever curse on my social media, but I felt it was absolutely necessary to make a definitive statement that nobody who left our city is going to say that our city is dead forever. I was pissed. That article made me so mad because it was written by somebody who was not in the city. Uh, And since that article in my post, uh, there have been several additional articles uh, that have rebutted this frustrating piece. And one of those people included Jerry Seinfeld. Um, So I wasn't the only one that felt this way. And one of the articles actually had the F word in it. Like it was published as the title with the F word in it. Um, There also seems to be... uh, Sorry, where was I? Uh, Since since the article... uh, I, I, I know that a majority of my, my audience are adults. There we go. My brain is not staying on track today with my notes. So yeah, I know that a majority of the audience uh, 
for me in all of the work they do are adults, uh, professional dancers, and older pre-professional teens. I don't really work with young kids. Um, every once in a while, I'll work with students around the age of 10 to 12, rarely below that. Um, but most of them don't even follow what I do. Um, I, I notice that the majority of the students that follow me are usually like 13 and up, but like more like 15 and up. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's the majority of my audience. So I wasn't afraid to use adult language. Uh, but also there seems to be a bit of a culture war about what is happening in our cities at the moment. And a lot of those conversations are coming from people who don't live in these cities. So there could be, have been some misinterpretation in my posts if it was looked at, uh, with a political microscope. Um, I didn't feel like my post was political, um, it was a very strong statement, um, but I didn't feel like it was political. But I could understand everybody's very sensitive when it comes to these election times. People get very sensitive about anything that remotely could feel political. And then based off of just 2020 and all of the, the chaos of 2020 and then all the politics of 2020, I feel like everybody's looking at, at everything with like such scrutiny and everybody's so... Uh, nervous and on edge and intense and uh yeah so it just creates emotions <laughs> but yeah in reality this post was a clear statement that our city is not dead and that uh the outdoor performances my company was putting on the number of people in the parks the responses from the public about how they appreciated what we were doing to bring the city back to life um those were all really just testaments to why our city isn't dead so i wanted to reveal that and then i wanted to tell people knock it off Stop saying things about places that you aren't. There's no reason to do it. And I'm sure you can hear that in my voice. I still am mad about it. But knock it off. If you're not here, don't talk about us. You can watch and you can take it in, but don't try to assume what it's like here in New York. To be completely honest, I'm going to, this is off track. Midtown is quiet and weird. Okay. If you don't know New York City, Midtown is pretty much from like 23rd Street. Some would say 34th, but 23rd Street up to like, Central Park, which is a, about 59th Street. So those blocks are quiet because those are tourists. That's a tourist destination. Those are also, it's a business district. So a lot of people are working from home. Same with like down around Battery Park. That area is also very quiet. Um, but if you go into the rest of the neighborhoods where people actually live, where real New Yorkers live, uh, then, then you will see like it is normal and bustling. Yes, restaurants aren't open like for indoor dining and a lot of a lot of, or not a lot, a handful of shops have chosen not to reopen yet. But when it comes to actual people on the streets, if you if you have ever been anywhere in New York City that is not a tourist destination, these places are bustling. And like I said, Washington Square Park this past Sunday was uh, a fantastic representation of that. So yeah, it's just really frustrating when people are watching us from the outside and they're they're trying to to give their perspective on it when they're too afraid to even come into the city to see what's like or like crime is out of control like it's not so take a step back come visit the city see for yourself all right um but yeah <laughs> this is i'm gonna keep on getting on track because i'm still so upset about this article but yeah so people are watching and listening to me and i know that so it is my duty to be clear and i take that responsibility to heart every time i share something whether it's in a classroom on a stage in a dance publication or here on my podcast so for instance like i've written more notes on this podcast because i know it's a sensitive topic and i want to make sure that i'm speaking clearly sometimes i do things off the cuff so um Things can happen, but um, I, I've put more uh, 
investment into writing this episode because I, I want to make sure that I'm clear about what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, moving on from there. Whenever I encounter any of these situations um, where somebody is troubled by, by something that I post or it triggers them or it sets them off or it disagrees with their politics or their lifestyle or what they think I am or who they think I am, Whenever I encounter any of these situations, I try to remind myself that there are other artists who have used their platforms for change. Um, obviously, dance is is a big thing, but like I, I think too, I I was just watching the Beastie Boys story on Apple TV. It's really good. Check it out. Um, I, I like the Beastie Boys. I wasn't a huge fan, but their story is just fantastic. Um, one thing my husband and I've been doing since the pandemic started was uh, we've incorporated a Saturday movie night, which the way that we usually work is an impossibility, but we've really grown to love it. And we pretty much do it every Saturday. But yeah, there was a conversation in this uh, sort of retelling of their history. It's like a documentary, but they speak it as they're telling the documentary. It's interesting. But yeah, there was a conversation about when this music group won a Moon Man on the VMAs. And when they went up to the podium to accept the award, one of the guys, sorry, I don't remember their names. Um, maybe it was Adam. Um, he spoke out against the music community not taking enough action at their events to prevent women from being sexually harassed and raped. Um, and uh, this had been a major issue because uh, apparently there were a lot of things going on and people were trying to stifle the voices that these things had happened to at the second attempt at Woodstock. Um, uh, that was nine, the opposite is 69, 96, I think, 1996. I remember watching on TV with Carson Daly um, up on this like platform and him being like, um, I think it's too dangerous. We're out. And they just stopped <laughs> covering. It was like, whoa, what is going on? You can see fires all around them. And they just cut the, they cut the footage like right then and there of their live, live coverage. But yeah, so they spoke up about these horrible things that were happening to women because they weren't providing enough security. And then they also weren't actually addressing that it had happened. Um, and apparently standing on stage to accept an award at this time, like in this time when he did this and speaking out about social topics was frowned upon. And they got a ton of grief for doing so. They got very little support. But nowadays, artists are constantly using award ceremonies to bring attention to social justice issues, climate change, political opinions, and more. Um, so... I thought that that was a really timely reference for me to have. Um, but beyond this, most young dance companies, I don't think people realize this. Most of them, the only grants that they receive are either for like community outreach or for creating works regarding social justice issues or raising awareness of hot button topics um, as a part of their choreographic programming, like the work that they're presenting to the public. So it's interesting. If you look at major dance companies that have like a fantastic foundation of support, they kind of get to do works that they want to do. Um, but if you end up, uh, if you, if you watch smaller companies, a lot of the work is like their statement pieces. Like I remember the first time, uh, was it the first time that Wim Wim in Seattle, it's a small contemporary dance company uh, led by one of my co former colleagues at Pacific Northwest Ballet, Olivia Wavers. Wim with him, W-H-I-M-W apostrophe H-I-M. I remember the first program that they did or the second program and one of the pieces was about climate change. I remember being like, I didn't know that they were so interested in climate change <laughs> um, because the work that we did, we didn't really discuss things like that. It was more like art for the sake of art or like a story ballet telling like a fairy tale, things like that. Not like 
talking about the plight of our world if we don't take better care of it. Um, but if you look at all the companies that are smaller in cities, um, let me give a few more. If you look at like Complexions Contemporary Ballet, if you look at Ballet X, which I mentioned, um, there's Dark Circles Contemporary Dance down in Dallas, Texas, at the Dallas-Fort Worth, probably, I think the Dallas area. Um, you have... Uh, who else? You have Northwest Dance Project, although I'm not very pleased with them at the moment. Um, they've been they were very manipulative at the during the pandemic, um, but that's another podcast episode. Uh, who else can I tell you to check out? Um, I guess we're gonna leave it at that right now because my brain decided to stop functioning. But yeah, a lot of the smaller companies they're creating work that are specifically to address social justice issues or to raise awareness. Um, and they do this because most granting organizations want to give money to uh, causes. And if you are going to help promote a cause that they care about, then they're going to give you, your mo- give you their money. People don't often give grants to small fledgling organizations that rely on two things, private donations Hint, hint, movement headquarters, $10,000 digital fundraising campaign. Um, But yeah, private donations and grants. Most young organizations rely on that. They don't have big corporate donors. Um, They don't have uh, access to certain programs that can bring money in um, in a larger audience base. So uh, they end up actually going for grants to create works on topics that they're interested in. So this is actually something that dance is made to do. Like we are, it's, and you're not just made to do it. We are forced to do it unless you have like several very, very rich and generous uh, patrons that are going to help you. So it, it's, <laughs> this topic is so important right now for me to be talking about because People are so afraid to get in trouble, but you actually have to try to get in trouble to get money from granting organizations. You can't just create art these days for the sake of creating art. You actually have to have a point of view. You have to be unafraid to push people's boundaries and you have to be willing to put out, put yourself out there in a way that can get you in trouble and it can get you canceled, which is stressful and challenging, but it's, it's just the way it is. And I, I, I guess, I don't know, I was kind of born this way. Um, I've always been this way, but, um, it's benefiting me now to some degree, but yeah, back on track. This is like an off, off and on, off and on. Okay. So yeah, dance companies receive grants for creating trouble. (laughs) So yeah, what it comes down to is that small groups of, uh, the small group of times I've gone in trouble again, quote unquote, outside of my performing career is when the expectation of alignment of values between my work and people who have enjoyed my work are abruptly shifted and it causes discomfort concern. I don't think it's really truly concern. I think it's not concern for me. Um, I think it's just concern about like what I represent um, or worse, it, it can create complete and total disengagement and I lose uh, engagement with that individual because uh, our values didn't align in that moment. Um, if it's like a minor misalignment, it's usually forgiven. But if it's a major misalignment, um, then that could create the severing of a relationship, which I try to avoid at all costs. Not my goal ever. Um, but I'm I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay, so uh, as I've learned over the years, for every person who becomes upset with me for speaking directly or uh, very uh, aggressively 
um, or creating choreography that could be perceived as overtly sexualized or that questions people's ideas on life or society, um, making people uncomfortable in the educational setting when, uh, and that, and I'm saying that from like the perspective of like having somebody do something for the sake of teaching them what it's going to be like to be on stage, not like inappropriate, uh, just like bashing people for the sake of like messing with them to see if they can handle anything. Usually if I do something um, that seems a little off the wall, I'll explain it right away after it's done. Um, or I might even explain it beforehand. Perspective is everything. But yeah, so um, other than that, yeah, I've uh, people have become upset because I write an article or post something that isn't happy. It's lacking, uh, that, sorry, that that is like... Mm, political or if it's not pg um but the funny thing is i've received for all these things that i post that maybe upset like one or two or five people i receive equal or greater feedback for my willingness to be genuine candid and uh for using my experience to navigate tricky and troubling topics um those that support almost on the trickier ones almost always happens privately. I almost always get like a private message or an email um, about talking about it because if it is a tricky topic, uh, a lot of people don't want to put themselves out there because they're not quite yet ready to be public facing about it. And I completely respect that. Um, usually the people that are more upset about it are, are more willing to do it like in real time. Um, but yeah, the supportive ones actually usually just come to me. They're not posted publicly. So yeah, with all that said, I want to share with you uh, what I have learned is most important if you approach your art in this way, um, or if you are considering being a little bit more forthright in how you present yourself on social media um, or with your art. So yeah, with full honesty and a strong viewpoint, um, if you if you want to show those things, these are the things that I recommend that you look into or that you consider. So the first thing is you need to know your audience. Um, for me, this has always been my biggest struggle because my audience is like a huge range. Like I have teens to adult dance, like adult recreational dancers. Uh, there are pre-professional hopefuls that I've worked with, professionals on Broadway and international dance companies. Um, there's teachers and directors. Um, I have the gay community, um, also like the New York dance community, the national dance community. I've traveled across the country and connected with so many people, a few in the international dance community. Um, there are more liberal minded folks, uh, that I engage with and conservative, but because my work has uh, brought me across the country, um, I have connected with people from all walks and thoughts of life. Um, so it is very, and let me just accent that one more time. It is very, very, very impossible for me to make content that is exclusively for everybody. If I did, it would be, I, I assure you, it would be bland and it would be dishonest and everything would just be like saccharine and like artificially sweet. Um, so when I, when I consider what I want to post, um, I usually try to like, think of different communities and try to touch base with each one of them at least like once a week or every other week. Um, so one post might be for the recreational adult dancers. Another might be gay content. Another might be an educational tip for uh, pre-professional dancers that are looking to have a career. Another might be a difficult adult experience that happened to me. Um, 
this is honestly the hardest part of my job because sometimes the number one thing that I've gotten from people is that my content needs to be more kid friendly, but I, it's just impossible for me to, to approach things in that way. And I, and I think like often, especially with children, it comes down to like parents should be really, if they're not comfortable with their kids having access to a generalized platform like Instagram or Facebook or, uh, TikTok, then they, they shouldn't really be letting their kids on it or they should be with them monitoring them while they're doing it. Um, because like, if I think about the, this is, I hate this one. This one makes me so mad. Um, if I think about like gay content, some people think that just discussing sexuality is inappropriate for children altogether. Um, so if I want to post something gay, (laughs) I'm already offending a lot of people. So, um, but that's a, a very big part of who I am. Like people talk about their husbands and wives and children all the time. If I talk about my husband, I'm talking about my sexuality. Um, the gay community is uh, comprised mostly of adults who don't have kids. So the content is often going to be more adult. Um, there seems to be a certain amount of sexualization in the gay community. So if you look at a lot of... Uh, gay influencers, a lot of it involves skin. Um, it's funny, if I posted a picture of myself sitting in my underwear uh, on my couch looking sexy, I bet you I'd, I'd get complaints that it's not appropriate for everybody that's that's following my content. But at the same time, I have a photo from Alaska with me wearing tight, tight, tight booty shorts and nothing else in a pose. And people say, wow, this is beautiful, it's artistic. Um, so yeah, it, it could depend on like where you do it, but is that a gay picture? Is that a dance picture? Is it a gay dance picture? Is it art? Is it pornography? Is it ero- uh, erotica? Like it, it's just very, very hard to find a fine line and it will forever be impossible for me to please everybody. So you can't approach the idea that you're going to please everybody in your audience, but you really need to know who your audience is so that at least you can defend why you posted it. I can say, okay, the reason that I cursed in that one, uh, that one post was because I have engagement with tons of people outside of the city who might have an opinion. Um, and that it's not okay. I can say it's not okay. And it's like, oh, but it's okay. If, like, it's not okay, but you're allowed to have your own opinion. In this moment, I felt that there was absolutely no thought for any other opinion from people that are not in New York City. I am in New York City. I can have an opinion because I am here and I know what it's like. So to not have one, yeah, fuck off. Sorry, there it is. So it's that idea that sends a very clear statement that it's not okay for others to have an opinion. Um, and yeah, it's my opinion that it's not okay. <laughs> so it becomes very, very tricky. But uh, it'll, it'll be forever, for, forever impossible for me to please everybody because for me, that was me talking to those people. It wasn't me talking to kids, but maybe some kids are watching or maybe uh, with the, the nudity in certain things, maybe it's like I'm trying to connect with my gay community um, but then at the same time, like then other people are, are like, is this art or is this pornography? It's just a very tricky line. So uh, 
you have to know who your audiences are. And by me knowing my audience, it allows me to cultivate content. And and at times, I'm going to have to push certain audience members out of their comfort zone. And I do this to inspire other parts of my audience, or I do it to try to at least introduce a viewpoint to those uh, in my audience that maybe it doesn't inspire. Um, and that pretty much runs the gambit and every uh, of that topic and everything in between. So you really have to know your audience because uh, if, you, if you're speaking to the wrong audience that's not listening to you, um, it's going to be really hard for you to justify why you're posting what you do. And this, is really com- this comes down to justifying because uh, if you can justify yourself, um, and you get in trouble, at least there's like a conversation and a reasoning, and then it can start to push the needle in the other direction. All right, what else? <sighs> Honesty will get, at times, get you in trouble. All right, think about that. Honesty will, at times, get you in trouble. One of, another one of my biggest challenges is sharing things that have happened to me in my life and career that weren't positive experiences. Like for instance, uh, this this podcast. If there's anybody that this podcast uh, related to at some point, then it it could get me in trouble. And people say trouble like you think of a little kid getting like reprimanded, um, but it's just the idea that you're uh, displeasing somebody, and it could affect the relationship. Um, like I I recently told somebody um, that if to know me, <laughs> if you know me well personally not like if you think you or sorry not that if you feel like you know me personally through like my media that's one thing but if you actually like know me in real life um and you choose to uh be in my like if you choose to add your presence to to my life you know that you could become a story so it's this this is challenging for me because like i said my career is built on sharing things that have happened to me in my life and my career. So it's, it's very challenging if somebody gets upset because I, I almost, it's almost like a, a contract just by knowing me that you might become a part of my story. Um, and the, this, the challenge with that, and this goes from like personal relationships, professional relationships, employers, um, everything in between. I find that everybody wants to hear a happy story. Um, when things are going great, people feel so good. But then if you share something negative, even with uh, thought, perspective, forethought, everything in between that, then you are more likely to get in trouble. Is human nature to be drawn to positivity because people tend to have the same reaction to certain things? Like smiling, if somebody smiles at you, you'll, you'll probably smile back at them without even realizing it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been around somebody throwing up and somebody around me is like, oh my God, I think I'm going to throw up right now. Like people react to people. It's just like our nature. Um, there is something very difficult about sharing negative experiences or offering thoughts on something um, challenging that upsets people. Uh, people don't like it. Like you could, you could say a hundred amazing things about a person or an organization uh, publicly. And then if you have like great things like touting how great they are, and then you have one negative thing to say, or you have one thing that can appear negative and that can completely disrupt a relationship. And I know that for a fact, it has happened to me more than once, not a common thing, but it happens. Um, 
So yeah, if you know me or have been following my work for years, everybody knows that my brand is Candor. Um, and it has been since I was a young child. It's not a thing I do, it is me. Um, I remember when I went to the Carol Academy of Ballet when I was 17 and one of my closest friends while I was there, they asked me if I if I thought that they were a great dancer. And I was like, well, I think you have these qualities, but I think that you have a lot of work to do. And they were like, you know, coming from most people, I'd be crying right now. But I really appreciated how honest you were with me about that. So like it's been part of me like my entire life. Um, but yeah, I've also gotten in trouble multiple times for being honest, especially in my career. And that's the trickiest one. Um, personal relationships, it's it's uh, less black and white, but in career, the person who hires you gets to make the decisions. And if they don't like what you, what you do or say um, or how you act, they can make a decision to not work with you anymore. So it's really tricky to be honest uh, when it comes to your work because it can affect your work relationships. And if it affects your work relationships, then you can lose employment, lose money, lose the ability to survive. Um, but in my opinion, we have to move away from pretending like everything is great. And when it isn't, uh, keeping our mouths shut about it. I, I always say it's important not to react in real time to negativity. So give it some space, whether it's like sleeping a night on it or waiting six months to tell your story. But once you get some perspective on it, be respectful of those in your story and find a way to share that everything isn't always amazing, successful, happy, positive, cohesive, friendly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the important thing to note here is that if you do choose to function this way, do know that you are going to stir up feelings, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad, and it, it can sometimes affect you negatively in your relationships, both professionally and personally. So um, if you want to be honest in, in your work, and I, that could be like I'm talking right now, I write, I, I create dance, I'm a dance maker, I teach. Um, so find what you do, and then you can still be honest in through that. Uh, in however you portray yourself, whether you it's directly through your career or through your social media about your career. Just know that honesty, it will get you in trouble sometimes. Um, but I don't think that that's a, enough reason to sugarcoat everything so that it seems like you're living your best, happiest life. I, I, I think, <laughs> I actually think about, I, I love YouTube. It's changed a lot over the years. I don't like it as much as I used to, but there's this great travel uh, blogger, vlogger. Um, uh, he's a travel guy, Christian LeBlanc, L-E-B-L-A-N-C. Um, he travels with his Peruvian girlfriend. She also has like a huge channel in South America. Um, and they go around and then there was like a, a random video that they threw in because they had, I guess they had so much content that you would never know, but they broke up for like, I don't know, a few weeks or a few months and then they got back together. And Christian explains on it that like the honest truth. So what you saw was not the honest truth. You saw this like amazing travel life that they were going. They were traveling for work. They're getting paid for it. Oh my God, they have the best life ever. But what was happening was they were filming segments, turning off the camera and screaming at each other. Like that's honest. And I, I so appreciated knowing that every day of their life wasn't like that because it's not real. Life exists of ups and downs, goods and bads, negatives and positives. Um, and it's it's really important that we are able to see that everybody experiences that. And I think that that's why people have latched onto my content. But again, it gets me in trouble. <laughs> Next, uh, having a strong view, point of view can sometimes offend people. There are all types of people in your home, in your 
uh, community, in your town, in your city, in your county, in your state, in your country, in your continent, and in the world. They cover everybody. I think I covered everybody. There are all types of people from all different walks of life with all different viewpoints and all different life experiences. You cannot please everybody. Okay, so don't try it. Um, if you're offending everybody all the time, then maybe you need to like reconsider what you're doing. But if you offend people here and there, it's okay. Uh, it, it doesn't feel good emotionally, but it's okay. Just remind yourself that. So when you are share when you're sharing a strong, unwavering point of view, somebody is bound to be offended. Uh, for me personally, I mostly avoid politics on social media because I want everybody to feel welcomed. And I think that dance is compatible to all types of people. It doesn't matter like how much money you make, what type of community you come from, uh, what your political beliefs are, what color your skin is. I think that all people should feel welcome in dance. Um, so I, I mostly avoid politics, but it's still impossible for me to avoid politics at times because um, – there's politics of dance. There's politics in my city, in my state, in my country, in my personal life, in my personal career. Um, if it is involved in those things, sometimes I will speak out strongly about it. Um, I guess a good example of that would be the unemployment situation where I have been very, very open about the fact that the government is failing us. And I do think it's challenging because like, some people say, oh, the Democrats are holding up the, the, the bill from going through. But the Republicans decided, oh, we're not even going to continue to negotiate this. Go to Trump. And it became this. But in reality, if you are connected to any liberal organizations, um, and I signed a handful of uh, petitions that were liberal leaning for this subject specifically, I'm getting tons of posts, tons of emails, tons of contacts. And what's happening is so many people are saying we need the $600, not $300, not $400, not $100, not nothing. We need the $600 because we cannot go back to work. So what's happening is the Republicans go, well, the Democrats are holding it up. But then the, the Democrats are actually listening to the people. They're doing what the people want them to do. So it's that's inevitably going to – I'm going to have to write something political if I want to discuss the state – that the arts are in, my community of artists, my city that got hit so hard by this pandemic, um, my friends. So it's like dance, city, personal life, my career. I can't go to work. I'm teaching from my from my entryway. Um, I've only finally moved in a dance studio twice uh, because I teach online at Broadway Dance Center at the at their facility on Tuesdays, so I can give myself a warm up. But. Those are the times that I will speak politically, but I generally try to avoid politics. <laughs> um, but yeah, the most important part of this is that my point of view comes from a standpoint of having uh, being educated and continuing to educate myself. Um, so if you're going to have a strong point of view, um, it's really important that your point of view is actually backed up by facts and knowledge and not just by like opinions and like hopes and dreams and thoughts. Um, I am constantly evolving parts of my life and career through education, um, conversation, knowledge seeking, uh, studying, reading periodicals. I don't really read books, I guess, because I read everything online these days. But um, I have enough experience at this point that I think that I have the right 
to offer a strong point of view because I can defend my point of view. Your point of view is not strong if you can't defend it. That's just the point of view. Um, the ability to have a strong point of view is to have a defensible point of view. And you can't have a defensible point of view without education and knowledge. So if you are going to be putting out really like extreme statements on your uh, out in public, you have to be able to back it up. Um, and you can't back it up just because uh, you follow Facebook groups and because uh, your friend told you that their friend told you that their friend told you this or that. You have to actually like go to uh, get res- go go to resources that are actually like written by people who are in the field um, or uh, that have lots of uh, hands-on experience. And then if it's if you're not sure, make sure that there's citations in your articles so that you know what you're reading is like real um, and not just opinion. Because I blogged, I was a blogger for quite a while. Um, and one thing that I learned by blogging is that anybody can write anything and somebody will believe it. Um, I don't do anything in my life with that intention, um, but I could have pretty much been like, the sky looks blue to you because uh, of uh, the types of nutrition you put in. Now, the reason that dogs see the sky as orange is because the types of nutrition that they get change their retinas. Like, it's not true. I have no idea what I'm saying. Um, but I bet you I could write that in a blog. And if somebody found it, if like 100 people found it, at least like 10 people would think it was real. They'd think that their dog saw the sky as orange. Um, <laughs> probably not. What else? Um, we're talking getting in trouble with your art. Um, I, I always recommend if you, if you are going to put something out there that you think might get you in trouble, first off, really like think about it. Um, and just make sure that you're being reasonable. Um, don't just do it for the sake of like triggering people. It's so frustrating. People that just like write things to trigger people. All these memes, all of these pandemic memes, they drive me nuts because they're, they're really, there's no point to them except to trigger people. All right. So make sure that you're being reasonable in what you're putting out there, because if you're constantly triggering people, you're just creating like the, those negative stress feelings. Like when you feel like those tendons on the side of your neck tense, or you feel like that lump in your throat or like your stomach dropping or like you feel your heart starting to go a little faster. Um, like nobody likes those types of things. So don't be a triggerer. I don't think that's a word. Um, but uh, make sure that you're being reasonable uh, in the stuff that you're posting. If you have a viewpoint, again, be able to back it up and make sure that you're not doing it just for like attention. Um, but once you've decided to put something up and you feel that you're being reasonable reasonable about it, you should be unapologetic. Um I do tell people often that in my posting and my social media, I'm much more likely to share an experience than I am to actually tell people what I think is right and wrong um, because experiences are personal and right and wrong are not, they're cultural, like they're kind of agreed upon. Um, so people can fight like if you say like right or wrong, but if you share an experience, it's personal to you and it nobody can tell you that your experience is different because it's your own experience. They aren't you. They maybe were, even if they were there experiencing the same thing, their experience might even be a little different than yours. Um, so I often tell people to share experiences if you are going to make trouble with your art. Um, but if you're going to do it, you have to be unapologetic. Um, yes, you can, uh, 
create conversation and maybe those conversations will change your viewpoint or your opinion. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to apologize for having the experience that you've had or having the, the educated thoughts that you like the, the educated viewpoint that you have. Um, so you don't have to like let people make you feel bad for what you're doing. Cause that's one thing that it's like the cancel culture. Um, that's like a little different because it, it comes down to like trying to take away your ability to, uh, survive in your career and make money. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, when it comes to personal, it's just a little bit different. So yeah, I, I I just recommend be open-minded, be open to other people, but be unapologetic. And this kind of goes into the next thing. So don't censor yourself after the fact. That's why I say like really make sure that you want to put yourself, put, put, put out what you were putting out from the beginning and then edit it, edit it, edit it. And then make sure that once you put it up, that you edit it right away. If there's anything you want to change. Um, cause once something is out there, you cannot take it back because one person sees it, they could screenshot it. Um, one person, five people read it. You can't take away their memory that they read it. So um, you should never censor yourself after the fact. If you are, then you haven't completely thought through what you're post, what you're putting out there. And honestly, uh, one of my biggest disappointments in myself recently was that I actually took the the f off uh, out of that post because of one negative response that I got. And I've considered putting it back into the post, but then again, I'd be censoring the change. So I'm kind of like hanging my head in shame and and letting it be. But I, I'm. I'm glad it happened because I, I learned a lesson. Um, I can live with people disagreeing with me or choosing not to support me because our views don't align, but I can't live with myself when I allow the general public to start calling the shots in how I present myself as an artist and as a, a person. I am flawed. I am very flawed. Um, I feel like I have a lot to give. I feel like I have strong viewpoints that uh, are worthy of being heard. I have a lot to share. Um, and the second that I start letting other people tell me what to do, and, and no matter what like level of power they have to, to do that, whether it be something with a, a job, something with money, something with personal relationships, something with professional relationships, um, the second that I let others call call the shots for me, my integrity is gone. And the day that that happened, I I was in pain. I know that sounds crazy, but like I, my husband was like, "Can you please move on?" And I was like, "I I have such shame for myself right now." And I'm so uncomfortable and I feel like I have completely disrupted the core of who I am. Like, I felt like I, all of the candor and all of the honesty that I've pre- presented over years and years and years of putting myself out there personally, I, I felt like I invalidated it in that moment. And I know I deleted two words, um, but I won't do it again because... I go through all these steps in, in most of the things that I do, especially with my, my media work. Um, on my podcast, sometimes I do things on the fly and sometimes I honestly don't know what comes out of my mouth. Um, but I would hope that if something came out that I, I, I didn't necessarily want to say, I'd own up to it um, or say it comes out wrong, um, I'd own up to it or at least I would start a conversation. Um, 
I think when you put yourself out publicly like this, there's always that like fear of cancel culture. Um, but also I wouldn't be as far as I am in my career if I didn't do that. So yeah, uh, I felt really, really bad about that. Um, and still do (laughs) really don't like that. I did that, but life I'm learning from it. Um, so yeah, don't censor yourself after the fact. Uh, you see it all the time where celebrities tweet things or like politicians tweet things. They get all this blowback and then they delete it. But then you're like, well, it's everybody knows what you did and you can see screenshots of it. So it's still there in the atmosphere of the internet um, and in the atmosphere of people's minds. Um, so yeah, don't censor yourself because you can't censor yourself once it's out there. That's really what it comes down to. There is, there's, it's impossible to censor yourself after the fact because you already did it. All right. Um, what else? If you can't handle getting in trouble, don't put yourself out there. It's as simple as that. Um, I am a big advocate for being able to have a reasonable conversation. If people start, this is the one time I don't censor myself, but I will censor people. If people go on my social media and start yelling at other people that I'm engaged with, whether they're followers or friends, um, I will delete the comment and I will direct message them. And I will say, if you're going to argue with other people and yell at other people, then I'm going to delete it. Um, I will allow there to be intense conversation. But the second that people start like calling people out or like I, the worst is like when they like do the, the like nasty woman, uh, like politician thing, or when they do the like precious, uh, man, um, like, especially in politics, I have no space in my life for that. So yeah, if you can't handle getting in trouble, don't put yourself out there. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't like help cultivate positive conversation, constructive conversation. Um, but if you are, uh, if you are very fragile emotionally, or if you're triggered very easily, you should really, uh, maybe just do like a pretty fashion account, <laughs> something where you're just showing your clothes, not, not where you're showing your opinion on life or the world. Lastly, just back to audience engagement to, to seal the deal on this episode. Remember that you are speaking to your audience, uh, but you're only also only hearing from your audience. Social media makes you feel like your world is much bigger than it actually is. But for the most part, your audience is like-minded and your voice is really just limited to your community. Try to find ways to engage with people unlike you um, so that you can get out of that. Uh, and then when you do, make sure you don't put them down for thinking differently. Uh, try to cultivate healthy, respectful conversation versus defi- divisive and angry yelling because that really gets nobody anywhere. Um, I see people going off on social on, on other people all the time on social media like they think that they're changing the world by forcing their beliefs upon others and it just doesn't work that way. That's like not even trouble. That's just like anger and divisiveness and like pushing people apart. Um I've seen so many people tell their followers even to like unfollow them if they're voting for who they think is the wrong president. And that just doesn't make any sense to me because then then you have no ability to have a conversation or to influence one another to hopefully meet in the middle at some point. Uh, we'll just keep on pushing ourselves like further and further apart. We're going to end up with like multiple countries in, in the United States. Um So yeah, it's likely that if you've barely traveled out of your hometown, chances are that most of the people you're engaging with uh, and and that are engaging with you are only in your hometown. Um, They have a similar upbringing and they have similar views. If you are going to get in trouble with your art, be sure that what you're doing is actually effective versus creating a facade of making change when everybody around you is either already on board or you're just like triggering the people um, that you know it's going to upset because you're like, aching for a fight. 
Um, so yeah, just make sure that you're really aware of your audience and that you're not like just, I hate, I hate social media shouting where people think that they're like yelling at like the other side, but then you look and they have like 300 friends on Facebook and they all are pretty much within like the same 30 mile vicinity of one another. So yeah, this is hopefully very informational and it gives you a little bit of perspective of how I've cultivated my, my, my work, uh, in my career from my choreography to teaching to, uh, social media, podcasting and writing. Um, I, I would urge you to consider what, what do you do? Um, maybe you are just a dancer, but maybe there are other things that you do for, for the dance community in your, your area and look at those areas too. And then decide, like, if you want to present yourself honestly, know that you might be getting yourself in trouble. Because like I said, if you're going to be honest, you're going to get in trouble. Um, so if you if you want to present things honestly and not just have that sugar-coated social media all the time, um, know that you're going to get in trouble and then use all these tools and all this information educating yourself. That's what you're doing right now by listening to this. Um, and uh, use some of that as a foundation for you to build your own idea of how to go about that. Um, there, we, we live in a world that's, especially 2020, like 2020 has been real. And people that I know that are always positive and always looking for like the bright side of things um, have not been functioning in that way. Um, honesty is, sometimes it's painful, but sometimes it's also healing. And there, there's so much that we can do by trying to relate to one another. Um, if you find that you're always creating trouble, then maybe you're triggering people instead of creating like good trouble. Um, but if every once in a while you get a little bit of trouble and you lose a follower, you upset a relationship or anything along those lines, um, you, you don't want to just like brush it off, try to, try to heal that. Um, but at the same time, don't let that one experience count for all of your other experiences. That's the big takeaway for me there for all the times I've gone in trouble. Um, there have been positive things that have come out of that trouble, um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to leave you guys with today. I hope that you like this. I know this is a, a weirder topic, um, but it's it's still dance related. It could be it could really relate to any type of career, but for me, dance is my career, and it's all related to that. So uh, I just want to remind you one more time that uh, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, the comp- my company, my baby. We're holding a fundraiser to uh, create a digital immersive nutcracker that will once be done uh, in the future, be done live in person. And again, think like the Museum of Ice Cream in San Francisco meets uh, Clara's Holiday Dream. So uh, if you'd like to donate to that, you can uh, you can go to uh, my movement headquarters instagram page that's at movement underscore headquarters um you can also go to my uh my personal instagram that's at b carolis um you can also visit i actually it's funny can you tell i'm wasting time um because i want to get the link so i can give it to you it's https colon slash slash igg dot me me forward slash at at forward slash mhq digital premiere. All right. Um, but that's all over our social media. So you'll be able to find it there. Um, help us reach our $10,000 goal. We got a month to get that done. I'm so excited to, to do that. And also in reality, like you are the ones that will help choose what artists and what 
art, arts organizations can continue during this time. Not every organization is going to survive. Um, so I hope that you will consider uh, contributing to the organizations that mean something to you and the artists that are helping you in your life. All right. No pressure there. You can do whatever you want. I'm not talking just about me. If, if you live in a I don't know if you live in Salt Lake City, go find that arts organization or those artists that that you appreciate in your community and give to them too, okay? Because they're not going to get by without your support. I promise you that. It's a, a very hard time for arts out there. So, all right, there we go. That seals the deal. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pop Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also check out my company website at www.movementhqballet.org. You can reach out on those websites if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or company or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, and you can find that at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. I wrote on there for five years about work, uh, working as a freelance artist and as an independent contractor. I also have Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And I wrote on there about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you want to see my choreography, you can also check out my channel on YouTube. That's B. Corollis, and I also have a Movement Headquarters channel to check out what we're doing there. Thanks for listening in to Pod chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.